Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered himself faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one person, And this one, as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Rajan. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Cook. I've been part of the Genesis community since pretty much its inception. I'm also in my second year at Bethel Seminary in the Master of Divinity program. Uh, And so I've had the blessing to be able to stand up here and talk on a handful of occasions. What's really fun as I keep getting the opportunity to do this is being able to integrate the stuff from school and translate it in a way that it can actually land with people. And it's not just purely an academic exercise. So I'm excited to be here with you today, not only for that reason, but because this passage and the idea that I think it communicates is very central to my faith. If I couldn't believe something like what is being communicated in this passage, I'm certainly not up in front of of you talking today. I may not be part of this community. I may not be part of any Christian community. It's that foundational. It's that central to me. So forgive me if I get a little bit animated as I go through here. And for some of you, this is going to be something that's maybe old hat. 
that you're right in line with what I'm thinking on this passage. For some of you, this might be a different perspective, and hopefully it'll be something that you can take with you and consider today. Either way, I am going to ask that we put our thinking caps on today because we're going to do a little systematic theology, and we're going to learn a little Greek, and if I get really crazy, we might learn a little Hebrew. So let me say a quick prayer, and then we can dive into God's Word together, shall we? Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this community, and I thank you for the ability to be up here and speak to them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you please come, be with us, surround us, bind us together, lift us up, and help us to know you better. And I pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I want to start with a question today, and it's not technically an all play. For those of you who are relatively new here, we like to do what we call all plays, where it's involving the voice of the chorus and not just the voice of the solo. But this question, and when I ask it, you'll understand why maybe it isn't necessarily something everybody needs to answer. You're welcome to if you like, but it isn't a requirement. It isn't a a technical all play. The question is simply this. Has anybody wrestled with their faith this week? (laughs) Anybody had any doubts? Anybody had any uncertainties? There's some mental hands being raised right now, I promise you. What about in the last month? What about in the last three months? Ask yourself, how far back would we have to go before everybody in the room, at least mentally, was raising their hand? Because I would submit it's not that terribly far into the past. The problem is that I think when we teach about what faith is, people often teach it as the absence of doubt, the absence of uncertainty, the absence of those kinds of questions. Personally, I find that teaching very problematic. And I say that not only theologically, but just from straight personal experience. Some of you know my story. I grew up in the Catholic Church until about the age of 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there, when I sort of hit a wall. Because when I was at school and I'm learning math and science and logic and reason, I'm being told, question everything. Even the stuff in your textbook. Go ahead and ask questions. Why is it that way? Don't just accept it blindly. And then I'd go to church, and I'd go to Sunday school, and God bless those people. They were volunteers, and they were doing the very best they can, and I don't mean to disparage them at all. But when I asked a bunch of questions there, and I was that kid every three minutes going, "Uh, wait a minute, what about, yeah, but um, if Noah was in the belly of the whale, wasn't there a digestive process going on? Wait a minute, what's, you know. (laughs) I was that kid. And eventually, whether it was just a matter of losing patience or whether it was actually their belief, I was being told, you know what, not so much with the questions. If you're going to have a good relationship with God, just put that stuff to the side and just believe. If you just believe the right things hard enough, you're going to be okay. And there was just such a sense of dissonance between how I experienced the world around me through school and then how I was being told to experience God in Sunday school. And I got so frustrated, I left. I didn't just leave. I had a big, long conversation with my parents, and I said, look, I'm not happy. I don't want to go to this thing. I don't want to do this anymore. I understand that I live under your roof, and if you tell me I have to go, I have to go, but I'm not going to be happy about going, and I will let you know that I'm not happy about going. And it became a conversation where eventually they decided to let me make the choice for myself, and I left. I bailed. I didn't set foot in a church for anything outside of a wedding or a funeral for over 20 years. Because the way that I experienced the world made sense, and the way that I was told to experience God didn't. And so what I want to submit is that when we teach that faith is the absence of doubt, is setting aside those questions and those uncertainties and those doubts. We actually drive people away from faith, not have them engage in a deeper sense of faith. And I don't arrive at that 
just plainly in, in terms of my own personal experience, there is some theology involved. Because what I want to submit to you today is that faith is not being as certain as humanly possible about the things that you believe about God. Faith is trusting in God's fundamental character that we see displayed in Jesus on the cross. I want to say that again because that's really the whole central thing that I'm trying to talk about today. Faith is not being absolutely certain about every single thing that you believe about God. Faith is trusting in God's fundamental character that we see displayed in Jesus on the cross. Everybody with me? Again, I don't just pull this out of nowhere. This is where we're going to do the systematic theology. I'm going to talk you through three verses that I think display this pretty clearly. And we're going to start by staying in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is God. Pretty straightforward, right? We jump to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God is love. So Jesus is God and God is love. Again, pretty straightforward. Staying in 1 John, backing up a chapter, 1 John 3, 16 says that love looks like Jesus dying on the cross. So Jesus is God, God is love, and love looks like Jesus on the cross. The essence, the fundamental nature of God's character is self-sacrificial love. And if we can't put our trust in that, I don't know what we can put our trust into. Faith is not being certain about the things that you believe about God. Faith is about putting your trust in God's fundamental character. And I think that the author of Hebrews has something to say about this in this passage. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is a wonderful chapter. I can't assign homework to people, but please go home and read the whole thing. It's really, in fact, read chapter 10 as well. Just read the whole book of Hebrews. It's great. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. No, it's, it's because what happens is people pluck these first three verses out and talk about them in isolation. And that's really, really a dangerous thing to do because I think that's how we get to, oh, you just got to believe the right things and you got to believe them hard enough. If you read it in the flow, he makes this statement of faith, and then it's followed by a list of that faith, what it looks like being lived out in the history of Israel's ancestors. And the reason there's a gap in there is because there's the, the lectionary person decided to go right to Abraham. Abraham's the father of the faith. We're going to go right to Abraham, right? They talk about Noah earlier and some other uh, ancient Israelites, but he wanted to focus on Abraham. So let's start breaking this down a little bit. In verse 1, let's just stay there. Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. There's two words in there we're going to focus on today. Assurance is the first one. We'll just split the verse in half. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The Greek word that's rendered assurance here is hypostasis. Everybody want to say that with me? Hypostasis. It's a great Greek word. A great Greek word. So in the NRSV, which is the version that you have in your liturgies, that gets rendered as assurance. The NIV translates it as confidence. There are other translations that render it reality or substance, and I kind of favor those translations because when you dig into that Greek word, hypostasis, it has a solidity to it, a foundational nature to it, and that's kind of how I want us to think about faith is this foundation. Because if we're going to see faith as the foundation that we turn to when life throws stuff at us, that foundation can't be being correct about what we believe about God because we're finite, fallible human beings, right? We're talking about having a relationship between finite, fallible humans and an infinite, infallible God. That's not easy. Not an easy chasm to bridge, and I believe God understands that. 
I have to be honest. I'm a fallible human being. I make mistakes. I know I've seen me do it. My brother is here. He just said amen. Of course, yes. He's seen me do it. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. I, I, there's at least a 12% chance that any single thing I say here today is wrong. You could make a case for 15. I'm going to stick with 12. But I have to be honest about that because I'm fallible and I'm human and I make mistakes. Even in things I believe about God. If the foundation of our faith is being correct in what we believe about God, sooner or later, somebody's going to come and pluck a card out of that house and we risk the whole thing coming down. But if the foundation of our faith is God's fundamental character, his self-sacrificial love, Hebrews in chapter 13 says that God's character is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That doesn't change. That's solid. That's foundational. That we can lean on when, God throws, when life throws stuff at us. So when you think of hypostasis, when you think of this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, think of it as that foundational quality of God's character. But that's the place to start. With any question, any doubt, any uncertainty you have, you go back to God's self-sacrificial love for you and you start there. The second half of that verse, everybody still with me here? <laughs> Good. The second half of that verse says, uh, the conviction of things not yet seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. That word conviction gets to be problematic. The Greek word there is elegkos, E-L-E-G-C-H-O-S, elegkos. Everybody say that with me, elegkos. I like hypostasis better, but that's a good word. Elegkos, in, again, in the NRSV gets rendered as conviction. In the NIV, they render it as assurance, which is what tells you how tricky translating the Bible can be, right? The NRSV says hypostasis is assurance. The NIV says that elegkos is assurance why there's so many different translations. There's other translations render it evidence or proof, and again, I kind of lean towards those in my interpretation of the word and how that passage works. Where this word gets to be problematic is that older translations, most of them have fixed this by now, but older translations render that word as certainty. So that second half of that verse becomes the certainty of things not yet seen. And I've talked about this before, but if we set the bar at certainty, if that's where we have to get to in order to be good in our faith, we're in big trouble. <laughs> Thank you. We're in big trouble because, you know, we're human beings. Again, we doubt. We have uncertainty. We question things. That's a natural part of our being. If we have to be absolutely sure, if we have to take all that stuff and shove it in a closet somewhere so we can be just absolutely sure, it's not going to work. Just not going to work. In fact, if somebody comes at you with that certainty idea, I know people in here know the answer to this, so somebody's going to shout it out for me. You come back with them by translating the Hebrew word Israel. For it. Look, we've already done Greek. We've already done systematic theology. We might as well do Hebrew and just go the whole nine on seminary education here today, right? Anybody can shout out what the translation of the word Israel is. Anybody? Say again? No, no, not quite. Not what I was looking for. There it is. There it is. Israel, when you translate it into English, translates into one who wrestles with God and with other human beings and is able. Wrestle with God. Israel is the name given to Jacob after a literal wrestling match with God. But he put it in the name of his people, wrestling with God. I don't think he used wrestling because he's a WWE fan. He might be, but I don't think that's why he put it in there. Wrestling with God, it's part of the fundamental relationship that human beings have with their creator is wrestling with God. We're trying to understand from a fallible, finite perspective 
what the infinite and infallible is actually like. That's not easy, and it requires some wrestling. He put it in the name. When somebody comes at you and says, no, it's supposed to be certain, you just have to be absolutely sure, say, "Uh uh-uh. He put it in the name. Wrestling. We are allowed to wrestle with God. We're not only allowed to wrestle with God, we're encouraged. God says, no, don't put that stuff in a closet somewhere. Take your doubts, take your uncertainty. Stand on the foundation of your trust in my character. Bring it to me, and together we will process our way through it. That's what a leg cost is getting at. It's the process from that fundamental foundational nature of God's character that we use to process our doubts and our uncertainty and our questions. Faith is not the certainty that what we believe about God is true. Faith is putting your trust in God's fundamental foundational character as we see displayed in Jesus on the cross. That's what we're trying to get at here. So if we jump to the second part of that lectionary passage, we have stories from Abraham. One of them, the worship team read during the, during the worship service there, and we'll get to that story second. But there's two stories there. In verse 8, they start with the story of Abraham leaving his home. Remember the context of this. In this time and place, your tribe, your land, your family was everything. And God comes along to Abraham and says, yeah, I need you to leave all that and go to this place that I'm going to show you, and I'm not going to tell you where it is till we get there. Now, I don't know about you, that would be pretty difficult for me. In fact, on a much smaller scale, I had to make a decision a couple of years ago that it was very difficult about going to seminary. The call to some sort of vocational ministry was strong, and I recognized that pretty quickly. How I was going to get there is another matter. And seminary was a big decision. Look, this is the track that I'm on is about five years. So I'm two years into it. I've got three more to go. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of money. I'll be honest with you. It's not cheap. And that was a big decision to make because I wanted to know what the end product was going to be like. What was I going to be doing at the end of this If I knew that, then I could justify that time and that effort and that money. And I sat down with a friend of mine here, and she said, you know what, Dan, I get that, but the thing is that the jobs that are going to exist five years from now when you're done with this, many of them, most of them, don't exist right now. In fact, you're probably going to be inventing something because the way that this works now, you you don't just go to be a senior pastor somewhere and you're there 30 years and you retire. That's just not how it works anymore. You have to combine a bunch of different stuff together to make this work. So you may be creating some job nobody had even thought of for yourself. If you have to know what that is in order to start, you're stopping yourself before you even take a step forward. And that really landed with me. It was part of one of several conversations that I needed to have in order to make the decision to go to seminary. Abraham had an even bigger decision to make, but he trusted in God's fundamental character and took a step into something he couldn't see, into something he hoped was true, but couldn't possibly know for certain. Now, you may be asking yourself, but Dan, Abraham didn't know about Jesus on the cross. You keep saying that God's fundamental character is displayed for us in Jesus on the cross. That's true. And yet Abraham was still able to trust in God's character. He was able to know God's character well enough to be able to trust in it. And what I'm submitting is that it might be, in a sense, even easier for us. When we have the example of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, as an example of that character, it's even easier, as I do scare quotes, for us to understand what that character actually is and to put our trust in that very character. Verse 11 is the story from Genesis that was read earlier. It's also in your your, uh, 
liturgy there if you want to take a look at it. But they reference Abraham and Sarah having children, right? As many children as the stars, as many descendants as the stars. Now, if, you know, if you're familiar enough with this story, there's all kinds of doubt. There's all kinds of questions in this story. Remember, at one point, Sarah actually convinces Abraham to sleep with one of their slaves and create a child that way, since they're really not sure that this promise God gave them as many descendants of the stars is possible. They're both well past childbearing age. There's all kinds of doubts and questions coming to Abraham and Sarah's mind, right? But what does God do? Well, first of all, he takes this thing that wasn't part of his original plan, this child, Ishmael, and creates a whole new nation out of him. And then he revisits Sarah and Abraham and says, no, I keep my promises. I promised you as many descendants as the stars. Trust in my character. We're going to get there. And they do. And they have Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob. Jacob gets the name Israel, and God completes this circle in a wonderful way that just blows your mind sometimes. Faith is not the certainty that the things that we believe about God are true. Faith is trusting God's fundamental character as we see it displayed in Jesus on the cross and taking a step forward into something we hope is true, but we don't necessarily know. Richard Rohr says this in a way I really like. He says that, The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. So when we trust in God's character, even if we're not 100% sure about everything that we believe about God, what we're doing is we're admitting that we're not in control. It's a very difficult thing for human beings to do, especially people that have control issues like myself. Not easy, but it's essential. It's essential to say, I trust God's character I don't know what's coming if I take this next step, but I'm going to trust that his self-sacrificial love applies to me as much as it applies to anybody else, and that he will see me through this somehow. You see this all over the scriptures. We see it in the Psalms. Allie mentioned the Psalms, that they're teaching the Psalms in the kids' rooms today. Psalms are great. If you look at the Bible, right, it's, it's this meta-narrative, this overarching narrative of God creating, us screwing it up, and God spending the next five-sixths of the Bible trying to fix it. But he's trying to fix it in partnership with us, which is messy and not easy and not always smooth. And that's why you have this book right in the middle of the Bible, the Psalms, which are prayers from human beings to God. The Bible itself is mostly God's story. The Psalms are definitely ours. And there's a subset of the Psalms called Psalms of Lament, which are fantastic. I'm a big fan of the Psalms of Lament. And you'll recognize them as soon as you start reading through the Psalms, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because the way that they lay out, you have 10, 12, 15 verses of people going, God, what, the, what is going on around here? Thankfully, we have no reason to pray, pray that kind of prayer today, right? Not at all. Goodness gracious. But it is, it's 10, 12, 15 verses of God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my people? What are you doing? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you stopping this? What is going on? It's this raw emotional honesty, and I love it because God's, in, God's okay with it. It's, it's in the Bible. He's okay with it. And what you find is after those 10, 12, 15 verses, there's always two verses or so, or nearly always two verses or so, of an ex explanation of trust, right? An expression of trust. There's the word I was looking for. So you have 10, 12, 15 verses of people going, what is going on? What are you doing? Why is, it, why, is this, why is this world so screwed up? And then saying, but I trust you. I trust your character. I may not see why you're working your purposes the way that you're working your purposes. I don't get it. 
but I trust you, I trust that you are in charge, and I trust that you're going to see me through it. Faith, ladies and gentlemen, is not believing the right things about God and being absolutely certain about those things. Faith is putting your trust in God's fundamental character as we see it displayed on the cross. So how do we make this practical? When you leave here today, this week, whether it's at work, at home, with your family, with your friends, whether it's this week, next week, the next three months, life's going to throw some stuff at you. I don't care what any prosperity gospel preacher says. God does not promise us an easy life, period, paragraph. God doesn't promise us an easy life. What God does promise is that he will be with us when the stuff comes flying at us. We're not alone. That's huge. We are not alone when the stuff comes at us. So it's fair when the stuff comes flying at you, even if it's minor or even if it's major, it's fair to ask God what is going on around here. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my people? What's going on? That's fair. That's human. I believe God's 100% okay with you asking those questions. I believe God wants you to bring those questions to him. Faith is not being certain that you're right in every way, shape, or form about God. Faith is putting your trust in God's fundamental character and having the courage then to take a step forward, lean into those things, lean into that stuff that, God, that life is throwing at you with God to help process it and move forward into some future that you hope for. Together with God and with each other, it's not just a a vertical thing, it's a horizontal thing too. Together with God and with each other, our faith allows us to process our questions, to process our uncertainties, to process our doubts, and move forward into that which we hope for, but we don't yet see. Amen? Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.